Hello, everybody, and welcome to Floor Fight, the post-writer serialized podcast in which each season we assemble a politics bracket and pit our contestants against each other to crown the ultimate winner. I'm your host and announcer, Michael Levito. Thanks, Mike. I'm your other host and your floor manager, Lars Emerson. Welcome to the podcast and to the exciting fight we have before us. We have 40 entries remaining after uh, our last episode, so we are squarely at the end of the round of 64 here. Last episode, we cleared the third quarter of round one. We had some big fights over Nixon v. Anderson, and Thomas Dewey got a lot of praise, so they advanced, Nixon and Dewey. Um, but I'm excited for this episode, Mike. Me too. Of course, we should remind you that all of those entries we were discussing, that Lars was alluding to, are losing presidential candidates. The premise of our first season is to pit them against each other, and this bracket determined the answer to this fundamental question, who was the greatest president we never had? Reminder for our listeners how this works. We started with 56 runners-up in the competitive U.S. presidential races, plus 16 of the top third and fourth place finishers, eight of whom won their play-in games to make it into the top bracket. All candidates were seeded based on their percentage of the popular vote. So, our top number one seed overall was Samuel Tilden, who got 50.9% of the vote. He was the losing candidate with the largest share, and therefore our top seed. As we go through each matchup, we will introduce the candidate, the year, the seed, who they were bested by, and give some context on that election that they lost. Then Mike and I will debate the merits of each before crowning that round's champion. If we cannot agree, which we came very close to last episode, (laughs) we will flip a coin because that's how ties are settled in some local elections. Back to you, Mike. Thanks, Lars. And thank you, listener. Yes, you, the listener. You can follow along with our live updating bracket on our website when you go to thepostwriter.com slash floorfight to see the seeds, victors, upcoming matches, and to follow along with us each step of the way. So without further ado, let's dive into this round, which is round one, quarter four. All right, let's wrap up round one, Mike. <laughs> let's start with a very strong matchup. We have number one seed Grover Cleveland versus number 16 seed who played in against Gary Johnson. We have Martin Van Buren in the election of 1848. Tell us about our number one seed, Cleveland. It's Grover Cleveland, Stephen Grover Cleveland to his friends, was president at this point, and uh, he lost re-election to Benjamin Harrison. Of course, he would have his revenge four years later when he beat him to become the only president to serve non-consecutively. He was a Democrat who won 168 electoral votes in 18 states and 48.6% of the popular vote. Cleveland was what they called a Bourbon or Bablon Democrat. He was a Democrat, but he uh, was very much a non-interventionist when it came to the economy, very much favored business interests. He wanted to reduce tariffs, in fact. Um, which upset a lot of industrial workers because tariffs at that time were mainly used for protectionist purposes, which they felt held American workers. He was opposed to paying out Civil War 
pensions, which seems problematic. Hmm. <laughs> um, and he was also against inflation. I think everybody's against inflation, but he wanted to take active steps to end and curb it. Um, he wanted to lower taxes. He wanted to, you know, make the Western territories states. And he was also seen as generally pro-British because of his free trade views, which would actually help the Brits, which meant that a lot of the Irish immigrants did not like him very much. But he was kind of, he, he knocked back against Canada, which obviously had a very close relationship with the Brits over like fishing rights issues on the U.S. Canadian border and shared uh, fishing territory. Gotcha. So uh, Martin Van Buren in 1848, uh, he is the Free Soil Party candidate, and he is former president at this time. He used to be president. He ran on an anti-slavery platform. He claimed that the federal government could eliminate it eventually, and that that was always the founder's intention, was to do so. Van Buren supported the Wilmot Proviso, which would outlaw slavery in territories seized during the Mexican War. His candidacy attracted anti-slavery Democrats, Whigs, uh, members of the Liberty Party to his cause, but he ran for pretty petty reasons. He hated Lewis Cass, who was uh, the Democrats' nominee, and he hated Cass's policy of popular sovereignty. So he really just wanted to prevent him from winning. And that's Van Buren in 1848. All right. Um, So I'm inclined... We should note, too, that Cleveland actually won the popular vote in 1888, but lost the electoral vote. Mm. I'm somewhat inclined to go with Van Buren, even though it would probably be a flimsy administration, given that you probably wouldn't have a lot of congressional support. I think this has a strong chance to be a 16 seed upsetting a one seed. Yeah. The tariff thing, whatever. It's not whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Lowering taxes, sure. The whole not paying out Civil War pensions, it seems like a sticking point to me. I, I, I like adding Western states, though. I do, too. That's right. And I guess Van Buren, well, Van Buren, I guess, wasn't against it. He just didn't want slaves to be there. Right. But the other thing is Cleveland does literally get another chance. He does get to become president again. So I'm conflicted of whether, like, does that mean we should give it to him because he he becomes president (laughs) anyway? Or does it mean we should say, like, oh, no, you get to be president anyway without this. So you don't get it this time. (laughs) That is a good question. I'm not sure it's like a good. Who do you want to have be president in those four years, though, I mean, I guess last episode we were pretty friendly to Benjamin Harrison. We were. Yeah, I, yeah, we were, which I feel like means we should It'd be interesting then to go with Cleveland. I, I just have yet to hear like a positive case for Cleveland, whereas Van Buren seems like he's not running for very good reasons, but is at least running to, I don't know, Van Buren at least doesn't want like more slavery and stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I I think I'm okay doing the 16-1 upset. Okay. We have our first 16 seed. He was a play-in, Martin Van Buren, but he yeah. advances. Okay. All right. Next up, we have William Jennings Bryan. This is from 1908 versus Lewis Cass. Yeah, so William Jennings Bryan, this was his third attempt at the presidency and, of course, his third unsuccessful attempt at the presidency. He was a former congressman from Nebraska, and this time he lost to William Howard Taft. Uh, He was a Democrat who won 162 electoral votes, 17 states, and 43.1% of the vote. So this, you know, he was a economic populist. He was actually the first, this this, this go-around, he became the first presidential candidate to receive an endorsement from the AFL, the American Federation of Labor, Mm. Um, and he ran on a progressive platform, right? He wanted national banks to require deposit insurance. He he was against what he called government by privilege. His campaign slogan was, shall the people rule? And of course, the answer he thought should be yes. 
But, you know, the fact that Roosevelt was president at the time and was himself pretty progressive kind of undercut a lot of Ryan's support and lending credibility to Taft, who ended up winning instead. Interesting. Yeah, so so Lewis Cass, he was the Democrats nominee in that 1848 election we were just talking about with Van Buren. But he was primarily running against the Whigs candidate, Zachary Taylor. He was the former ambassador to France, uh, a position that seems to just very naturally lead to presidential ambitions in the first century of American history. Um, and he was senator from Michigan. Van Buren walked out of the Democrats nomination, and it was suspected that Cass had uh, very pro-South uh, sympathies. Cass was against the central bank, against high tariffs, and against federally sponsored local improvements. Uh, and on slavery, like we mentioned in the last matchup, he supported popular sovereignty. So Cass ended up losing to Taylor. He got 42.5% of the vote. I, I, I'm lean Brian. Yeah, why? Because popular sovereignty is not great. We just gave... Martin Van Buren a That's win true, for yeah. it. I don't know. For being against Lewis Cass, I don't yes. really want to contradict myself. I also think Taft is not considered a particularly good president. That is true. And I feel like, I mean, William Jennings Bryan was like right about everything. He was just like 20 years too early. I would agree. Yeah, I would agree. Even though he has a lot of other chances. In fact, the Republicans, one of their slogans was vote for Taft. Now you can vote for Brian anytime because Brian just kept running for president and really loved it. <laughs> right. um, but uh, yes, I, I, I agree with you. Yeah, why not? Why, why, why not? Why not throw Brian a bone and, and certainly against the, the popular sovereignty crowd, which is, like we said, not good. Right. Yeah. Why not? We we also had William Jennings. This is at least the last William Jennings Bryan in our bracket. Well, I mean, it is the last chronologically. This is oh yes, yes, yes. We yeah. also have him from two from nineteen hundred and him from yes. eighteen ninety six. Yes. His yes. He advanced ninety six version of Bryan had already advanced in our second <laughs> episode. But okay, Bryan goes forward. Uh, next up, we have a number five seed, Charles Evan Hughes versus a number 12 seed. It's Henry Clay again, but this time he's from 1832. <laughs> right, so uh, Charles Evans Hughes was actually an associate justice of the Supreme Court um, who resigned to run as the Republican candidate for president in 1916 against Woodrow Wilson. He won 254 electoral votes in 18 states. It was an election that was actually so close that Wilson considered resigning. Well, what he considered doing was if Hughes had won, he would have appointed Hughes as Secretary of State. Then he would have resigned and his vice president would have resigned to, to basically create a chain reaction to make Hughes president earlier because he wanted Hughes... Because hmm. Wilson assumed the U.S. was going to be involved in World War One. He wanted Hughes to have like as much of a head start as possible. So that, that, that's kind of interesting. But basically, Charles Evans Hughes, he opposed the income tax, which we talked about last episode, the 16th Amendment. He opposed the eight-hour workday, and he opposed overtime pay. He was initially anti-war, but he ended up being pro-war after U.S. ships were sunk. And he said Wilson wasn't taking necessary preparations for war. And actually, people thought he was doing so well that on, like, election night, like, people were so optimistic about his his chances that, like, he, he actually went to bed assuming he was going to win. And then a reporter called up his camp and asked to talk to him. And his aide was like, oh, the president is sleeping. And the aide was like, well, when he wakes up, telling me he's not the president. So, yeah. 
The Dewey of his time. Yes. So up against Hughes, we have Henry Clay from 1832. So we talked about Henry Clay in 1824 already. We talked about Henry Clay in 1844 already. But that perennial little stinker, get this, this is him from 1832. This is mid-Clay, as I like to call him. And he is running against incumbent president and critic of our show, Democrat Andrew Jackson. Henry Clay was a national Republican in this election and was the former Speaker of the House and representative from Kentucky. As you may remember from the infamous 1824 election we've now unpacked like seven times, he was Secretary of State after that election in what was the corrupt bargain. But now he's Senator from Kentucky, which is a position he will hold on and off over five decades from 1806 through 1852. In that election, Jackson runs on hating the National Bank, hating elites, hating Indians, and supporting nullification, which is the concept that U.S. states have the right to nullify federal laws that the state thinks are unconstitutional, which is, yeah, not how a federal system works. <laughs> no. uh, and courts have never uphold it. Yeah, but Clay ran on supporting a national bank, but he failed to unite a coalition of anti-Jacksonian folks across multiple parties. He got 37% of the vote and lost to Jackson. After this loss, the National Republicans, Anti-Masonics, and some other anti-Jacksonians became the Whigs. I'm just going to come out and say it. I'm leaning Clay because Andrew Jackson is, is a problem. Yes, I would agree. I also don't love the idea that Charles Evans Hughes was like, you know what I don't like? Eight-hour workdays. They should be longer. <laughs> right, right. I, was, I almost like, made a joke. It's like, oh, we wanted them to be shorter, right? No. <laughs> no. He, uh, he, he thought it hurt business interests. And was, you know, when people say, oh, they're like pro-labor nowadays. It's like, Oh, you're like, so you're pro-union and it, it, it's a little more complicated. Right. Whereas like back then it was like, oh no, I am pro-labor in the sense that I feel like, uh, you know, people should be able to be compensated when their arms get chopped off by machines <laughs> right. and children should not be working in factories. And also people should have like weekends and stuff, Right. <laughs> which is apparently the kind of things Hughes was running against. I also think it's probably a better idea to keep Wilson in the White House. In, yes. Uh, Even though Hughes, so I, I I talked about that whole plot where Wilson was going to appoint him as Secretary of State, yeah. but one of the reasons was because Hughes was like actively trying to convince Wilson to concede, like on election night, <laughs> like before you know everything had been counted. Which I, I don't I don't like that in the leader. It's it's a little overconfident. Right. That whole plot that Wilson was buying into though is very Wilsonian though. It's very academic. Yeah. So we're giving it to Clay. Clay Clay is on fire in this bracket, man. He just keeps. Marching forward at various elections, all like eight years apart. All right, let's move on. Next up, we have number four seed, everyone's favorite, Donald Trump, <laughs> and number thirteen seed, uh, uh, John C. Fremont. These are, as Mike pointed out, the most recent Republican nominee and the first Republican nominee. That is true. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so uh, Donald Trump. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but he was somehow elected president in 2016 and ran for re-election in 2020, where he lost to Joe Biden. As we mentioned, he was Republican. He won 232 electoral votes, 25 states, and one congressional district, and 46.9% of the popular vote. So I'm sure most of you remember this presidential campaign, but uh, to put it in a nutshell, it was short on ideas, <laughs> I would say. You know, he was sort of the law and order candidate, you know, and that was his kind of reaction to the uh, George Floyd protests and some of the rioting that was going on. But he, you know, tried to walk this tightrope of saying, oh, if Joe Biden's president, he's going to defund and abolish the police and the riots will come for you next, while also saying, oh, also, if you're like black, you shouldn't vote for Joe Biden because Joe Biden helped, you know, pass the crime bill in the 90s, which is 
a big reason why a lot of people are in jail right now. You know, tried to really sort of walk an impossible tightrope and also was just like basically just shouting like, white suburban women, I need you to vote for me, was basically like... <laughs> he did literally say that. Yes. It was the least subtle campaigning I've ever seen in my life. And, well, and part of the reason why is because the Republican Party literally did not have a platform. Like, they literally did not pass a platform at the convention, which is insane to me. I don't understand how that happened. Um, it was COVID, man. I don't know. Well, yeah, it was COVID. Of course, that was the big issue in the campaign was how to deal with COVID. And again, Trump was kind of trying to walk this tightrope, right? He said, oh, well, you know, the Democrats want to lock you down for eternity and put you in masks for eternity. Meanwhile, Trump's CDC was like, yes, we should lock people down and also have them wear masks. You know, he he, he was using the Defense Production Act to try and manufacture tests and PPE. He actually also ran to uh, remove methane emission standards and to expand the mining efforts. Of course, he left the Paris Agreement. He said that he, like, wanted to send in the military to break up protests, but that didn't really happen. There was, of course, the very infamous photo in front of St. John's Church in Washington, D.C. Again, one of the more inane things I have ever seen happen in real time, where there were protests in front of the, protests in front of the White House. They were gassed by riot police. Also, Donald Trump could walk in front of a church and hold up a Bible. <laughs> it was the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, so that was Donald Trump. He tried to run on, you know, the strong economy that he had while he was president, but uh, nobody really cared because of COVID and the general insanity that was going on while he was president. I remember it well. <laughs> so... Uh, John C. Fremont, the Republican Party we know and love today was founded in 1854 by those opposed to the Kansas-Nebraska Act, which allowed expansion of slavery into Western territories. And their first ever presidential nominee in 1856 was American explorer, Mexican-American war veteran, and short-term senator from California, John C. Fremont. Incumbent Democratic President Pierce was very unpopular, so Democrat James Buchanan got the nomination. Former President Millard Fillmore, who you may remember from when he lost in our play-in rounds, he ran as well as a know-nothing candidate. And he and Buchanan were basically nominated in their respective parties because they were both out of the country for most of the last few years. <laughs> Buchanan was like ambassador to uh, the UK and Fillmore was off doing stuff in Europe unofficially. So they were both like removed from this very contentious issue of slavery. But Fremont ran against expansion of slavery in what turned out to be a vitriolic shit show of an election in which rumors cropped up of his illegitimate birth and allegations of Catholicism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Mike. Uh, Republicans calling cry in this election was free speech, free press, free soil, free men, free Mont and victory. Fremont ended up getting 33% of the vote and losing to Buchanan. Uh, it is definitely worth noting that Fremont, while there are still all sorts of places named for him across the American West, is certainly not beloved among Native Americans, who he and his men slaughtered, quote, on site in the 1840s. Being an explorer in the 1800s usually comes with a bit of baggage. Yeah, didn't he also try and, like, found his own country in California, basically? That I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he, he had some uh, weird adventures. That being said, I definitely like his platform way better than Trump's lack of a platform. Yes. I mean, do I want to elect the anti-slavery guy in 1856, or do I want to re-elect Trump after what is, like, an insane <laughs> year that is 2020? My fa sorry. My favorite thing about that whole thing, you went on that like little tirade about Trump's candidacy and campaign and mm -hmm. just how weird it was, is he's running ads on television of like protests and riots in the street and like disease and like sickness and he's saying this is what will happen in Joe Biden's America. 
These are all like footage from the last year in which he's right. been president. Yes. Like I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> and it, you know, was he kind of right about the COVID part? I guess. Like I guess we still like dealt with that for a year under Biden, and you know, I guess basically just given up now. But mm. like my the the riots and stuff has not really come to fruition. I mean, he is also the only president that led to uh, the U.S. Capitol being stormed under his watch. So the only one to be impeached twice as well. <laughs> yes. But he's a number four seed. We're giving him a fair consideration against Fremont. I think you could almost make an argument that Fremont winning in 1856 is not necessarily in the long-term interests of the of the country. It probably hastens the Civil War, I would think. But under, like, less competent leadership? Yeah, I would think so. He he was a weird guy. I think it's safe to say Fremont was a... Two, two very weird guys in this matchup, I think it's safe to say. But I also just, I'm also glad Donald Trump's not president anymore. <laughs> well, we, I, yeah, but we have to unpack. Did Trump deserve to win a second term? No. No. Okay. <laughs> Good. All right. So Fremont advances. It, it's like, honestly, it's, I'm not, okay, I'll, I'll give a more substantive answer. Sure. Like, and it, this is very colored by like current events, but it's like, you look at what's happening now with the Russian war in Ukraine and like, whatever you want to say about Joe Biden. He was very upfront with the American people what was going on. He said exactly what was going to happen. He was right about what was going to happen. And he basically helped organize this massive international response against the invasion and arguably strengthened America's standing in the world in a way that it probably has not seen since like before the war on terror. I will go as far to say that. Hmm. Donald Trump wanted us to leave NATO. And I, yeah. he's, you know, he's just not the guy you want to look to in times of crisis because I, I have a feeling he'll only make it worse, which is exactly what happened while he was president, right? I think COVID would have been a mess and a disaster no matter who was president. I'm considering just like his, the way he contradicted himself when it came to masks and vaccines absolutely would have made it worse, right? The things with George Floyd, it's like, did he have a lot directly involved in that? No. Do I think he absolutely made things worse? Yeah. I don't think you could say that he made things better. Certainly not. Just incredibly incompetent at administrating. Exactly. And yeah, I mean, look at how many people just went through his administration and look at what they're saying about him now. Yeah. I mean, look at what Bill Barr just said about him, right? Right. We, I don't know. We, we've gone through a lot of elections uh, mm -hmm. in this. Almost all of them, in fact. And there have been some very, very bitter ones, like the Tilden mm -hmm. election where he lost, um, mm -hmm. the the Adams one we have not covered yet. Oh, the Jefferson loss we did, that was, that was bitter. And the Adams loss we'll cover pretty soon. This was the only one that a transition of power, it was certainly not a peaceful transition of power. It, it was the most fraught transition of power literally since the Civil War. All right, so Fremont advances, <laughs> we're agreed, and we will take a commercial break. If you're enjoying Floor Fight, be sure to check out the podcast that started it all, Running Mates. It's the podcast where Mike and I went through every modern presidential election through the lens of vice presidential picks. Not only that, but we made our case for who would have been a better pick each cycle and where and how vice presidential picks could make a difference each election. Could Hillary Clinton have won in 2016 if she picked a different running mate? Could Al Gore have won in 2000 if he picked a different running mate? That's the premise of Running Mates, which you can find on thepostwriter.com or everywhere podcasts are found. Subscribe and run through every election from 1968 to 2020 with an emphasis on that second name on the ticket.
And we're back with the last half of our last quarter of our first round. We have number six seed, William Jennings Bryan in 1900 versus John Adams, a number 11 seed. Tell us about William Jennings Bryan again. Yes, William Jennings Bryan, as we said, he was a congressman from Nebraska, a Democrat. This was his second time running against now President William McKinley. He won 155 electoral votes, 17 states, and 45.5% of the vote. So Bryan's bread and butter, try saying that five times fast, was economic populism, specifically free silver, antitrust measures, things like that. And he that was a part of his campaign and part of the Democratic platform in 1900. But he also focused more on anti-imperialism, specifically in response to the Spanish-American War, and anti-expansionism this go-around. He was very critical of the annexation of the Philippines, and he actually won the support of the American Anti-Imperialist League, who had endorsed McKinley in the prior election. His approach didn't really stick. People didn't really care about imperialism that much, so he went back to attacking corporate power and all of those things. But he did say a foreign policy that America should be the supreme moral factor in the world's progress and the accepted arbiter of the world's disputes. I think it's a little hard to do that also without being kind of a hegemon, but I, I respect Brian for trying. <laughs> John Adams. So incumbent Federalist President John Adams was up for re-election in 1800 against his own vice president, Democratic-Republican Thomas Jefferson, you know, from the Hamilton song. <laughs> Adams favored better relations with the United States' original rival, Great Britain, and a strong central government, while Jefferson supported small taxes, decentralization, and important for our case as we consider Adams' presidency, Jefferson was against Adams' Alien and Sedition Acts, which Federalists passed to restrict speech against the government, make things much harder for immigrants and immigration, all that sort of stuff. Uh, Adams also had a big falling out with the only other major player in the Federalist Party at this point, one Alexander Hamilton, who wrote this giant screed against Adams just completely annihilating Adams's career in the middle of his presidency. It also destroyed Hamilton's own career too, by the way. But Adams would end up getting 39% of the vote to Jefferson. Uh, Jefferson won in a landslide, but had to deal with a pre-12th Amendment kerfuffle regarding the Electoral College. So I know you're not a big John Adams fan. The Alien and Sedition Acts are very damning. Yes, I yeah. agree. And I am inclined, actually, to put Brian ahead because of that. And I feel like uh, anti-imperialism, probably a thing some people needed to hear at the time. Yeah, I mean, and like you said, he wouldn't necessarily have gone through with it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what? Yeah, I mean, he's not actually going to do this, right? <laughs> no, I don't know. Like, like you, said, you said he still wanted America to be like an arbiter. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, he wasn't an isolationist. Yes, no. yes. Um, he clearly saw a an active role for America to play in the world. That is fair, yes. Yes, um, but I, I, I agree with you. Jefferson is not necessarily like, he, he is certainly not not controversial. Yeah. He's very opposed to a central bank. He's very pro-states rights. He's it, Jefferson was more of like a gradualist on slavery than I think most people in the modern day realize, but he definitely owned a lot of slaves and he definitely like had sex with his slaves. Yeah, I, I just, I've always kind of come down. I think, I think you ultimately needed to have Jefferson. I agree. In America. Let me throw yeah. this little wrinkle in there though. Sure. William McKinley has a new running mate in 1900. His name is Theodore Roosevelt. He, William McKinley is elected in 1900. In 1901, he is assassinated by Leon Shogoff, and Theodore Roosevelt ascends to the presidency. Yeah. Do you, do you have concerns about sacrificing Theodore Roosevelt's presidency in favor of William Jennings Bryan? Also, the McKinley Building on American University. <laughs> yes. I have concerns about that. Mount um, McKinley in Alaska. Yeah. Which is now called as Nolly. 
So I think if Adams wins re-election, I think Thomas Jefferson still wins in 1804, you know? Sure. I just, I feel like this transition of power is so important in 1800. It's the Mm -hmm. first time you have one party handing over the reins to another. You completely reform the electoral college because they did it dumb to basically just elect George Washington for the rest of eternity. And they forgot that he was going to eventually, you know, die. It's a very important election to have go the other way. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, you, you sold me on that. Yes, I agree. I, I had not, I had not really thought about the, the transition element to it, but yeah, that's very important. Do I think that I prefer both of these elections? I think ultimately go kind of the way they go Yeah. in the, in the long run, right? Is I, I think Jefferson probably deserved to win here. And I think McKinley's win was ultimately better. But given the two, I think Jefferson is probably more important than McKinley. I would agree. Okay. So Brian advances again. So all three Brian's have now made the second round. That sure have. That's exciting. I and I didn't considering uh I didn't think we'd get there. He considering his popular spent, but he's had weak opponents kind of every yeah, every single time. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of uh, weak opponents, we have <laughs> number three seed Gerald Ford up in the next match against number 14 seed John Davis. Tell us about old Jerry Ford, Mike. So Gerald Ford was the only president to have never been elected as president or vice president. He was appointed as Richard Nixon's vice president after Spiro Agnew resigned in disgrace and then became president when, when Richard Nixon resigned in disgrace. <laughs> However, he kept things close against Jimmy Carter in 1976. He won 240 electoral votes, 27 states, and 48% of that popular vote. Ford uh, basically pledged to continue Nixon's you know, non-Watergate agenda <laughs> and ran as a tested leader compared to Jimmy Carter, who was the outsider and the newbie, basically. Um, they called it the Rose Garden strategy. There was lots of video of him signing bills and giving speeches in the White House Rose Garden. The Nixon pardon, of course, was a big albatross across his back. People were upset that he basically shielded Nixon from any punishment for his crimes. One issue he did, in fact, put on was ending price control on uh, natural gas. The thing about this election in 1976 is we talked a lot about sort of these late 19th century elections that were very like personality focused and not very substantive. In a lot of ways, this election was 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 not dissimilar to that, right? It was based a lot on like personality and vibes, basically. Carter was running as kind of the optimist and, and, and the voice of renewal after Watergate. And Ford was trying to counter that, but not doing a very good job of it because he was just kind of a boring dude and also literally was Richard Nixon's vice president, right? It was right. kind of hard to deal with. And there was actually, um, I think it was the first presidential debate of this election, which was a big deal because actually the first televised presidential debate since 1960. Basically, both like PR teams had told Carter and Ford to like, like don't like say anything when you don't have to say, just like look friendly. And so there was like literally a point where there was like, there were just be gaps where they just were not saying anything and both were just like smiling at the camera. It was a very... <laughs> image heavy campaign not very substantive you know they both kind of ran against like big government but carter had the better smile so he ended up winning (laughs) he definitely did jimmy carter has a very nice smile john davis uh was the democrat nominated against incumbent republican president calvin coolidge who was president by way of president harding's death a year prior in 1924 davis was a compromise candidate after a contested convention he had been ambassador to the uk and solicitor general but he lost 
in a landslide in 1924 against Coolidge. He only got 29% of the vote. This was the same election that uh, La Follette ran in. You may remember him from one of our play-ins and from our first episode of round one, which split the vote a bit, certainly against Davis. Davis was against prohibition. He was big into denouncing the Ku Klux Klan. And as Solicitor General, uh, he defended black voting rights and internationalism, which is nice. That's nice. Mm -hmm. Of course, later in life, he'd defend segregation at the Supreme Court in a companion case to Brown v. Board. So progress is slow, but he was certainly ahead of his time in that time. This, I think, is actually a pretty fair matchup. I was going to say, I was ready to go, go all in on Ford. But now that you were talking about Davis and his opposition to the Ku Klux Klan and things like that. Let's be clear, Gerald Ford was also against the Klan. Well, yes. Yes, (laughs) he was. But uh, in an era where they were much less powerful. (laughs) That makes Davis certainly more appealing. I feel like we've gotten a little bit more into like the domino theory of our arguments, right? Mm -hmm. Gerald Ford is president. That means... Not only has Ronald Reagan lost the Republican nomination, but the slightly more moderate approach taken by Ford is now vindicated. Does that factor into your thinking at all? It does. I, I think Gerald Ford has a pretty strong case to be reelected, actually. You know, we were pretty tough on Carter a couple episodes ago. He ended up advancing because he was up against, like, Wendell Wilkie in, like, the depths of FDR's terms. And we kind of decided, like, that's just probably not a risk we're willing to take. But we did not, like, endorse Carter very much, is what I'm saying. No. Which is not to say I'm like a big Gerald Ford stan either, but Mm -hmm. he almost seems underrated as president. You know, I think pardoning Nixon was probably the right thing to do. Uh, He was certainly very experienced. He, Mm -hmm. you know, he had to deal with a very bad economy, but I think ending price controls was the right move. It's certainly braver than what Nixon was doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this was like a close, it was like a close election in 1976. Yeah. Now, on the other side, I'm not sure, you know, Calvin Coolidge certainly has a lot of baggage, too. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. What, what do you think? Yeah, so Ford was put like in a, an impossible position, right? There's just no way a Republican wins the presidency after Watergate. And he. I don't know that Ford ever saw himself as president, right? I feel like he was very much like a congressional operator, right? He was minority leader in the House. But, you know, there, there is probably something to be said for his general competence and just like the more and more I've been reading about Carter, like the less and less I think he was a good president. <laughs> honestly, he had just a lot of lot of issues as far as the relationship with the Congress went, and as far as his general like messaging went as well. Davis is so weird because he did a lot of good things, and he also did a lot of bad things. <laughs> Not bad, like yeah, he you know was against anti lynching legislation <laughs> at least early on in his career. Hmm. Like you said, he argued for separate but equal laws. And again, like it, it's hard because a lot of these are. Like, like he takes these in the role of a lawyer, right? Where you kind right. of have to advocate for your client no matter what. So I feel like it's a little hard sometimes to suss out exactly what he believed. And and Coolidge, I, w- I will give some credit to, is, you know, he was for fiscal conservatism. He supported women's suffrage. He was kind of against prohibition. He was not very, <laughs> not a not a very well-spoken man, or not a speaking man at all, really. Silent um, cow. Yeah, and, and he certainly cleaned up Washington to a large degree just by virtue of not being corrupt. He granted U.S. citizenship to Native Americans, and Ford, Ford was unlucky in that he was, like, president during a bad economy and, like, did pretty decent things to make it better, whereas Calvin mm-hmm. Coolidge was president during, like, a very, very good economy and got out right when the, the getting was bad. A, a very well-timed presidency, 
by Calvin Coolidge, I think. Yes, I would say so. <laughs> Which uh, he, he got out at the right time too. Right. <laughs> Did, didn't get greedy like <laughs> right, their term. Right. He he even <laughs> was asked about it. They were like, "Why didn't you run in 1928?" And he said that uh, ten years as president was quote longer than any other man has had it. Too long. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which you know was true at the time and then fdr would blow that out of the water but this kind of makes me want to actually give it to ford i kind of think ford should advance because calvin coolidge is he's fine yeah he's fine yeah I, I think so all right gerald ford has advanced i would not have guessed that going into this bracket Next up, our second to last matchup of this round. We have Adlai Stevenson in 1952, a number seven seed, versus Al Smith, a number 10 seed. Yeah, so Adlai Stevenson, we talked about him last episode, but he was governor of Illinois. He was the egghead, as everybody called him, and he ran the slogan, Eggheads of the World Unite. He was a man for the people, not of them. He was very much considered a bit of an elitist. He would lose pretty badly, actually, to, to Eisenhower. He only won 89 electoral votes, nine states, and 44.3% of the vote. And Stevenson, you know, like like any good Democrat at this point in time, he ran on the legacy of the New Deal and warned that Republicans wanted to repeal New Deal policies and that would cause a new Great Depression. He ran against McCarthyism and the Red Scare and actually said that Republicans were failing to fight communism abroad because they were overly focused on what was going on at home with communism. They were kind of focusing their efforts in the wrong places, um, but he was generally considered too intellectual for the average person also because he was divorced. That was very controversial Ooh. and ended up losing to the much more popular Eisenhower. Yeah, so Al Smith was Democrat in the 1928 election against Republican Herbert Hoover. Al Smith was governor of New York, and unfortunately for his electoral prospects at the time, he was a Catholic. He lost to Hoover. He received only 41% of the vote, and he did not even carry New York. Smith was opposed to prohibition. He was tarnished by his links to Tammany Hall, which was like the political machine in New York. And the economy was just very good. So Hoover won and anti-Catholic sentiment was very, very real. So this election was kind of considered an inevitable win for Hoover. Yes, the story also goes that Al Smith had a very heavy New York accent that people could not understand on the radio. He would also, he would have been our first Italian president. (laughs) And as such, I have to go with Al Smith. (laughs) Yeah, uh, this this election is, given what's about to happen, can we really say that Smith would not have had a better presidency than Hoover? Like, you, you figure Smith would have been much more, like, government intervention-y than Hoover. Yeah, I, I remember I was listening to the presidential podcast from the Washington Post, and I was listening to their episode about Herbert Hoover, and they were like, Hoover actually would have done more if he was not elected president to help with the Great Depression than he would have if he was president. Right. Hoover was actually, like, a very keen, like, administrative mind. You know, he, he made his name by basically, like, organizing food relief efforts in Europe after World War One. So if, if, you know, a president like Al Smith, say, had the power to be like, okay, I'm going to make you the, the food relief czar for the United States, like, Hoover probably could have done a lot of good. Right. And also Al Smith, you know, anti-prohibition. Who, who, who likes prohibition? Nobody, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not me. <laughs> I, I think this is so interesting because I, I feel like history changes very little, but it also completely 180s. Is I feel mm-hmm. like if Al Smith wins this election, the Republicans become the Democrats we know today and vice versa. Like literally just in name only, right? Yeah. It's like you then have a Republican probably win 
the election of 32 because the mm-hmm. entire economy collapses and Republicans are now the party of, you know, interventionism in the economy. And Adlai Stevenson is also certainly very qualified yes. to be a public servant. But who would have made a better president in the time? I think I got to go with Smith. Because I think you need someone who's not Herbert Hoover from 1929 to 33. Maybe. Hmm. You just said he's Italian and you were going to vote for him. <laughs> I did. Though Adlai Stevenson, is, he knew the federal government very, very well. I think he would have been a very competent administrator. I agree. But I also, I also really like Eisenhower. Yes. So, I, yeah, I feel like I'll go with Smith, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a tough one. Yeah, I I feel like Hoover is like an unmitigated disaster, whereas Eisenhower, he's like the opposite. Eisenhower is actually like great. Like Adlai Stevenson could have been a better president at a different time. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. All right. Smith advances and we are down to our very last matchup of round one we have number two seed james blaine versus number 15 seed who won his play in round henry clay in 1824 yeah so uh james g blaine was the the republican nominee in 1884 memorable guy as you can tell he was secretary of state he was also senator from maine he lost to grover cleveland yeah he his big thing was that he was actually just super corrupt actually (laughs) he uh was known for like basically greasing the wheels on like railroad contracts because he owned a lot of railroad bonds and being able to influence legislatures to get like railroad contracts done he was also anti-tariff very pro railroad construction for weird reasons i don't know why and he was against isolationism he also well he didn't say this but a republic prominent republican said this when he was president was that that people should not vote for Democrats because they are the party of rum, Romanism, and rebellion. Basically, the party of Irish Americans. Oh my God. And that basically turned off a lot of the northern workers who, who would have been the base for a blank candidacy because they're like, oh, I guess he doesn't really like us that much, does he? So they voted for Cleveland instead. Cool. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> Henry Clay in 1824. You've heard his name, what, five times now? But this 1824 election, we've unpacked a lot, and this is... Almost the last time we're going to unpack it. Just to recap, Henry Clay was probably the most important American in the 19th century. In 1824, he had been Speaker of the House. He was from Kentucky. He was a Democratic-Republican. He got 13% of the vote, and he stood for like a 19th century version of Hamilton's ideal. That was the American system. He wanted a central bank infrastructure, tariffs to protect nascent industry. He was a slavery gradualist. He was kind of like a fight the fights you can win kind of guy. He lost that election to uh, John Quincy Adams and Andrew Jackson. John Quincy Adams won in this corrupt bargain in the House when Clay maneuvered some House votes and then Adams nominated Clay to be Secretary of State. That's your recap. Yeah, uh, I, I should be fair to, to, to Blaine. He was also like a, a supporter of like black suffrage during reconstruction and stuff and was like very important in like foreign policy and opening up america and getting involved in latin america and and international trade and things like that but he was also like i said super corrupt who who in the 1880s wasn't though you know that that is a very good question yeah i feel we're not we're not big cleveland fans though either but you really are not selling (laughs) you're really not selling blaine to me no blaine was the last secretary of state to be nominated for president since hillary 
<laughs> Hillary Clinton. Huh. That's interesting. To be fair, he was never convicted of any corruption or anything. Like, they were never actually able to stu- substantively prove that he was corrupt. He just happened to really, really push for, like, railroad expansion while owning lots of interests in railroads while he was also in government. Whatever. That's, <laughs> that's fine. Railroads are good. <sighs> Yeah, but I don't know. Cleveland's like literally nominated because he's an anti-corruption like <laughs> crusader. Yeah. I I don't know. Blaine really does not have a very good reputation. Whereas I feel yeah. like, I mean, I'm inclined to just go three for three on Clay here. I think all I three agree. Clays deserve to advance. Yes, I, I think I would agree. Yeah. Sorry, James. You could have made a more compelling argument, Mike, but... I know. You weren't inclined to do so. Yeah. Okay. And we're done. We're done with round one. We sure are. Which is exciting because that means we've now gone from 40 candidates to just 32, which we'll all explore, of course, in the second round. And any surprising results in this go around? Yeah. I, I thought our debate on Brian v. Adams was interesting adams is certainly like Mm -hmm. a bigger name but not necessarily in a good way i think ford advancing was like a genuine surprise i did not actually expect that to go through and i also thought stevenson had more of a chance so uh, smith advancing i mean i say as easily as he did we spent a lot of time on that one but that that surprised me too yeah we got our first 16 seed win (laughs) well yeah i guess that was that was surprising (laughs) i guess that's surprising but yeah like what you say yeah ford us being like, oh, yeah, I guess Ford. And then, um, yeah, the Stevenson-Smith thing, also pretty interesting. It'll be interesting to see. We got a 16 seed and a 15 seed in this round, huh? That's yeah, that's they're, something. They're both very strong lower seeds, though. Yeah, they are. They are. But yeah, any matchups you're, you're, you're looking forward to in the next round? Of these, I think Brian versus Ford is going to be interesting. Because that's yeah. Brian in 1900, who we were pretty, like... I think Brian does keep winning because he's against weaker opponents. We're not super sold on William Jennings Bryan. Yeah, I would agree. I could see both of these clays going head to head in this whole like quarter of the map. Yeah, I could too. Henry Henry Clay is like really dominating that quarter, and I I think he'll beat out Brian. <laughs> I guess it's just a numbers game at this point for him. But yeah, I mean it's inter- we have two Bryans and two clays both in this advancement. I don't know. Yeah, no, I think I think you're right. I, I think he does have a good shot at, at pulling that off. All right, well, everybody, you're just going to have to stay tuned to find out because we're going to move on to the next round the next episode. Like I said, be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever podcasts are found, or, of course, you can find it on thepostwriter.com. You can also stay tuned with our live updating bracket at thepostwriter.com slash floorfight to see how each candidate fared as we whittle them down over the course of this series. So tweet at us at thepostwriter.com or email us at contact at thepostwriter.com to let us know what picks you would have made where we aired and the tremendous injustice we committed against Adlai Stevenson twice so far. There, there are some I'm Trump sure. stands out there too. They're, they're oh, coming. Yeah. You, you, we don't need to hear from you though. We've heard from you enough over the past <laughs> five years. Um, but outside of that, we'll see you next time. Ready for the first episode of round two. <laughs>